Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare, and your host for this podcast. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Todd Bellamar, and Scott Seidelman, the Chief Commercial Officer at OmniCell. OmniCell is a leading provider of automated medication management and adherence tools to pharmacies and healthcare systems. If you've ever been to the hospital, the chances are high that your drugs were dispensed by one of their big cabinets. What's cool about OmniCell is that they're taking drug delivery and dispensing into the next generation by adding new cloud-based analytics and new solutions for 340B program administration and population health. If you don't know what some of that stuff is, well, neither did I, but Scott will explain it all to us shortly. Scott's also a pretty interesting guy who's bounced around the healthcare ecosystem for more than 20 years. Before joining OmniCell, he started and sold not one, but two different radiology-related businesses. So you might say that Scott is pretty plugged into what's going on in hospitals, healthcare systems, and how they can all use technology to improve patient care and bend the cost curve. Scott, welcome to Definitively Speaking. We're happy to have you. Thanks, guys. Really excited to be here. Great, great. So let's just jump right in. Before, I'll be honest, right? Before you joined OmniCell four years ago, and folks, I've known Scott because I was working in radiology when I was back at GE Healthcare. So I knew him kind of through the industry. But when you went to OmniCell, Scott, I'd never heard of the company, right? Yet, this is a company that's been around since 1992. Can you give us a little bit of background on who OmniCell is and what was interesting about it? Yeah, totally. And and in full transparency, I didn't really know much about the company either. And as you said, I've been in healthcare, bouncing around healthcare, which seems totally appropriate for quite a while. So, um, yeah, so, so we are a really unique company in the sense that our, our founder is still our chairman and CEO today. And, and still as passionate as ever about solving problems in pharmacy. So he started the business in 1992, very personal story, um, had a child in the hospital, was watching nurses struggle with meds, um, thought it would lead to errors. And, you know, literally in a garage in Silicon Valley, you know, invented this device, right? Which, which um, you know, you can, it's not too often that, um, you know, you, you invent a medical device and it becomes standard of care. And as you pointed out, automated dispensing cabinets are in, I like to think of them as the last mile of drug dispensing in the United States, and and they are in every setting of care, every hospital. They're all over the hospitals, um, outside of the hospitals. They're in uh, SNFs and LTACs and or you know urgent care centers and EDs. They're, they're literally everywhere, and it is the standard of care. And so you know, Omnicell. There was really primarily today. It's a duopoly. There's there's two uh, companies. We're essentially neck and neck. It's it's us and. Uh, a division of Becton Dickinson called Pixis. Omnicell was always the 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 little guy competing against Pixis, and um, you know was 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 and continues today to today to be very entrepreneurial and and continue. And now we're we're roughly you know approximately 50-50 share today. That's great. That's great. So why did you go? Like I mean, automated pharmacy management's a, a pretty big leap from a previous gig at Candescent where you sold and built or built and sold, excuse me, cloud-based radiology workflow and analytics, right? Radiology to pharmacy. What's going on there? Yeah, totally. I had, 
I mean, Amasal is not a huge company, but it's certainly a big-ish company. You know, I've been mm-hmm. an entrepreneur for quite a while in, in healthcare, and, and that was my plan, just to continue doing that. Um, I had known Randy Lips because he had been on the board of my previous companies and got mm-hmm. to know him, and he was always a mentor. And when he first approached me about coming to Omnicell, you know, sort of I had the same reaction. I was like, I don't, I don't really want to go join a big company, and what would the role be? And you know, honestly, isn't this kind of just standard of care med device and how interesting could it be, et cetera. But, um, but as I really dug in, I, I think the things that I got excited about was first and foremost, for me, it's always been about care delivery model redesign, right? That's what radiology was always about, which is huge portion of healthcare. You know, how can you really enable radiologists to um, deliver better, more efficient care? That was what that decade for me was about. And, and I think we achieved a lot of that. And and like many entrepreneurial stories in healthcare didn't achieve some of it. Pharmacy was exactly the same thing. I mean, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, there's no shortage of areas of healthcare where you can apply technology and, and, and do something faster, better, and cheaper. But for a whole bunch of good reasons and a whole bunch of really bad reasons, innovating in healthcare is just really, really hard. It's, it's why we haven't seen a, an Airbnb, an Uber-like disruption, and probably never will. Um, but for me, Pharmacy was uh, or is the largest portion of healthcare by dollars, touches every patient in every setting of care, arguably one of the only ologies that has a, a sort of a true ROI, whether that's clinical or financial in healthcare. Um, so that was really exciting for me. Clearly, the pharmacy supply chain is under massive disruption. And so that just seemed like there was a ton and ton of opportunities. Um, as an entrepreneur for a decade across two different companies in healthcare, I had kind of personally come to the conclusion that the hardest thing to do in healthcare is to build a channel and that getting into these places is so hard, right? You, you want to sell, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you've got some great technology, you want to sell into healthcare. Well, you've got three constituents, right? Hospitals, providers, and health systems, payers, or drug manufacturers. All three of those industry segments are dominated by huge players, right? The top 300 health systems control 80% of the beds in the United States. And, and simply getting into those places and, and, and developing a relationship with them is so hard, right? So there is no, you know, if the three of us went and started a startup tomorrow, you know, cloud-based accounting software, you know, we'd go to market by attacking that small and medium-sized business market. You know, we'd go after the 300,000 businesses out there where our product has the feature set that would be relevant to that market. And more importantly, where we could experiment and fail. Like you can't do that in healthcare. There's no SMB market, right? So, so the notion of a startup, it will take you two years just to get an NDA signed with a health system for them to even consider experimenting with your product, right? It's hard to do. So do you feel that, you know, as we've, we've talked a lot about the sort of the disambiguation of healthcare a lot in the last couple of years or so, where we see more and more small urgent care centers popping up here and there or, you know, the the Walgreens and the CVSs with their uh, minute clinic type situations where the focus of care is starting to happen uh, outside of the hospital. And so is that sort of the, the market that you guys are seeing as the next horizon for expansion? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we've all been talking about care moving outside of the acute care setting for the last 20 years, right? I, I think it's clearly happening. It's starting to go that direction. Um, but but what's really going to end up happening, right? I mean, when you look at the health system in the U.S., just take hospitals, 
It was designed 100 years ago when transportation was incredibly difficult, right? Which is why you drive down the highway, you see an H sign in every town, right? And, and, and I think that the reality now is, is that we probably have too many hospitals. And so I think what you're going to see happen is that I, I think that you know, a lot of these smaller community rural hospitals are probably going to become imaging centers with helipads on top of them, right? And, and, and really what they're going to be doing is triaging those patients off to the quaternary care facilities, the, you know, the, the MGBs now, right? The, the big health systems in the big cities. But I think that what's going to happen is I don't think you're going to see a reduction in their number of beds. I think all you're going to see is the acuity of the patients in those beds is going to increase and, and health systems and other players are going to get really good at treating lower acuity patients outside of the hospital, whether or not that's in a care setting such as a an LTAC, a SNF, an urgent care center, or the home. And so I, I think that's where you're going to see the shift. I, I think that, you know, largely the big health system is and, and that big quaternary care facility is probably going to be a winner in the next generation of, of where this all goes. But I think that they're going to participate in managing and treating these patients outside of that hospital. Yeah. So there's some interesting data that kind of followed behind that, Scott, right? So according to some of the data that we've tracked, you know, ambulatory surgery center volume increased by 20%, actually more than 20% between 2019 and 2021, while hospital surgical procedure volume decreased by 7% during that same time period. For sure. So what are the impacts of that on your business? Um, look, pretty limited. I, I think that, you know, going back to, you know, why did I join Omnicell, which is really around, we have this incredible channel. You know, we do mm -hmm. business with half the hospitals in the United States, half the post-acute care environment, half the retail pharmacies. So, you know, we've got the entire continuum of the healthcare system. And so if you're talking about transforming this thing called medication management, and when we look at our business and our strategy to say, look, how can we really ultimately what we want to do is that we want to transform this big portion of pharmacy by enabling the pharmacist, the nurse, the caregiver, the doctor to focus on the things that are really, really hard and really, really important, which are the clinical elements of medication management. And can we strip away or automate away all of the administrative garbage that is sort of overwhelming this provider in the US, right? And, and that's really what we're trying to do ultimately. And when, you know, we started with point of care in this cabinet, and now we've added central pharmacy automation and technologies that help hospitals manage drugs across their continuum, helping pharmacists to engage patients outside of the hospital and participate in kind of this, this ambulatory environment. So, so for us, in terms of this shift, you know, how it impacts our business. Look, like I said, I, I actually think the larger health systems where we're focused today are getting bigger and, and, and actually expanding and taking on you know, more of our solutions and services as they and other constituents start to focus on, you know, sort of lower acuity patients outside of the hospital. Well, the reality is, is that their, their medication management or their pharmacy problems go with them, right? So, it, you know, so the reality is, is it just because you're not treating Mrs. Smith, who's, you know, uh, has multiple comorbidities and is taking seven different medications, you used to treat her on a bed on the fourth floor of the hospital. Now you're treating her at home. Well, I'd actually argue that you have more complexity from managing those five or seven medications you're on. And so now it puts more pressure on the health system and they need more services from us to say, okay, now 
you need a central pharmacy capability that can supply those medications, not just on the fourth floor, but in the urgent care center, in your 100 physician offices, to Mrs. Smith at the home. And you need tools that enable you to know where are these meds? How do I make sure those meds are getting to the right place at the right time, whether it's in the hospital or outside of the hospital? And you need tools that enable your pharmacist to do more than simply fill amber vials, right? Those pharmacists now have to be triggered to engage Mrs. Smith to say, hey, Mrs. Smith, you know, you're not taking the right med. Did you take it today? Are you adherent? You know, population health speak, but you know, are you taking these meds in the right way, et cetera? And so it's that full portfolio of solutions that we've added in the last few years that supports sort of med management in and around the hospital, not just inside it. I, I think that's an interesting thought. I, I would hazard a guess that a lot of people, when they hear about the dispensing cabinets type of, of software, uh, not the software solution, but the, the actual What's the word? Hardware. Hardware. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I work at a software company. Never remember that word. So I I think a lot of people think of that hardware as being it. And then a human has to be making a lot of the decisions and the quality control about getting that, that, um, the right drug out into the hands of the patient. So can you just talk a little bit about the, those add-on pieces to the hardware? It's like a, you know, clinician decision-making software or things like that to look at, you know, here's the type of patient, here's their history, or here's their comorbidities, you know, be cautious when you're dispensing drug A, B, or C, or something pops up on the screen to say, remind the patient of A, B, or C when you're giving them these, uh, this medication. Yeah. So, so let's just follow kind of the evolution of this over the last, really quickly over the last 30 years, right? So 30 years ago, the ADC didn't exist. Drugs were just stored in a basement somewhere, right? And so the patient may be wherever that patient is, but largely at that time in the hospital. And so the, the workflow had to be getting that drug from the basement to the floor, to the patient's bedside, et cetera. And that drug was up there, right? Well, that was inherently, as you can imagine, and today it's the same thing. You're throwing lots of bodies at a problem with lots of manual processes. That's going to result in slow, expensive, and really error prone. So ergo the invention of the automated dispensing cabinet, which is basically just a par location closer to the patient. So now I don't need to keep the drugs in the basement. I can stick them on all the floors, right? So now I have this problem, which is that okay, but I still have 100 or 200 people in my basement that are just pulling drugs off of shelves and trying to get them to these locations. Well, and now not only do I have floors in the hospital, but I've got 100 physician practices that I've acquired. I've got urgent care centers. Those now all have par locations. Okay, well, so what did we really just describe? We described Logan Airport, whose job it is, is to land planes and take them off on time without killing people. But all I've really done is I've created planes and and maybe a tower with windows, right? So how am I possibly managing that, right? I'm looking out and I hope the weather's nice and it's during the day and I'm trying to like, you know, radio the plane, land on seven and you take off on five. It's too complicated. It's the exact same problem for a chief pharmacy officer of a health system like MGB. My job is what they call the five rights, is to get the right drug to the right location at the right time at the right dose, right? I got to make sure these plans are la- planes are landing and taking off across this massively geographic complex environment. What do I have? Tens of thousands of drugs in my formulary, right? And so how do I do that? Okay, well, what I actually need now, which is a, a service we've launched called Omnicell One, which is a which is a predictive analytics subscription that sits across all those devices 
looks at all those PAR levels and predicts what drugs need to be in what locations when, right? So now we can actually help that health system optimize the five rights because previously it was tribal. It was just, you know, this chief pharmacy officer knew that on Wednesdays, the nurse on floor seven tended to take more doses of X, Y, and Z. And then the nurse would go to get the next dose because the patient needs it and the cabinet's empty, right? And so now, or, or, or I've got hundreds of people taking scripts out of my central pharmacy. Why don't I just do that with robotics? Like, why don't I just put robots in the basement that are automated and picking drugs, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the software is just telling the planes where to land and where to take off. And triggering these humans, these texts, like a like a Uber, you know, instead of the the pharmacist saying to Bob, the tech, hey, can you run this up to floor seven? Oh, and by the way, when you're up there, could you grab five doses of that? And we're gonna we're gonna need to get that probably to floor six. Well, not anymore. Like on the cell one just predicts that and sends a, a notice to the tech to say, Bob, go to floor seven. Okay, Bob, now grab doses and go to floor five. And I'll go there and go there. Right. That's the level of kind of prediction. You've basically just described a logistics problem. Exactly. Right? Yep. I, I never would have thought of drug dispensing in Logan Airport in the same sentence, but uh, I totally am buying what you're selling here. If we could just sneak some pneumatic tubes in there, just <laughs> totally. get the, the, the I know. movement around that. It's amazing. <laughs> like the, you, you go meet with, with uh, chief pharmacy officers and it's all logistics is what you just said. They, 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 they like to call it the industrial component of pharmacy. And, and what chief pharmacy officers will say is we, would, we were never trained to do this. We were, we were trained to do the clinical problems. It's how we self-actualize. It's, it's where we want to be at the top of that Maslowian hierarchy, not dealing with all of this logistics and administrative and logistics crap. And that's where Omnicell comes in to say, hey, look, why don't we help organize all of that for you? What, we're not the star of this play. You are. We're, we're a minor character actor. But, but how can we take a lot of that stuff away from you so you can just actually go treat the patient? And the logistics are becoming more complicated as we're introducing more sites of care and different sites of care and Correct. people then getting home. And so you've got to really manage that entire medication workflow, if you will, or location dispersal. Totally. And, and COVID just made this, I don't know whether you want to say it's better or worse, but, but just created so much more pressure on this because now the pharmacist appropriately, you know, a couple hundred thousand of them, you know, CVS and Walgreens have made sure that there's one from five miles from 95% of the population in the United States. They're being asked to do so much more than just fill a script, you know, administer COVID vaccinations, you know, immunizations, testing, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, now all of a sudden you've taken a burdened part, an overwhelmed portion of healthcare, and you're just simply asking them to do more. And to your point, they need tools to help them do that too, right? Yeah. You actually just hit on something that Todd and I have talked about with a bunch of our other guests, which is, you know, maximizing the efficacy of the healthcare workforce, right? We talk all the time about the quote unquote practicing at the top of your license, whether you're a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a primary care or clinical specialist. And at the same point in time, you've got people like leaving the workforce in droves. I mean, we yeah. hear about this. We're going to have millions, shortage of millions and millions of providers at all levels, right? And, you know, the theory here is if every person or patient sees the lowest cost provider with the skills to treat them and the capability to treat them, we should, I emphasize should, be able to eliminate cost or reduce cost and also free up capacity, you know, in the healthcare system. 
But I mean, are you starting to see that when you're out there talking to your clients and your pharmacists? Absolutely. I, um, I think in a couple of different settings, I, first and foremost, our vision is to enable that pharmacist, caregiver, nurse, to practice at the top of their license by eliminating mm-hmm. all that administrative work, right? Inside and outside the hospital, right? Right. Everything we do and every new product or service that we've launched has a has a labor efficiency component to it, right? It is all about how can I enable that nurse to spend less time on medication management? How do I utilize and make the pharmacy tech much more efficient? Who, by the way, the 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 attrition rate of the pharmacy tech right now in inside of hospitals like. 30 to 40%. I mean, they're, they're leaving at a, at a massive rate. You've got pharmacists now playing the role of literally, you know, $17 an hour employee and carrying drugs around because they can't hire enough pharmacy techs, right? And I think as you hit on outside of the hospital, that pharmacist plays such a critical, but I would say underutilized role, clearly, right? And I think what you're going to start to see is that, you know, our hope is, is that as we add new services that are focused on optimizing that, that labor and that efficiency, you know, now the conversations with hospitals and health systems are saying, Hey, look, you know, we can help you, you know, have the nurse spend less time on medication management so they can focus on other things. We can make the pharmacist labor more efficient. Hey, retail pharmacist, we can enable you to engage Mrs. Smith to have conversations with her around, you know, are you on the right drug? Is it in, you know, if you had any other medication conflicts, are you on the right health plan? Because the reality is, is that, you know, you're going to get hit with a $300 copay with the current plan that you're on, which is not good for you. And it's certainly not good for me. But now this pharmacist who's ill-equipped to have those conversations is, is engaging that because Mrs. Smith's saying, but I can't pay for this and I can't do that. And, you know, they're just trying to fill the script. And so, we, we have outside of the hospital, we actually, uh, a couple of years ago, created a business unit called Enliven Health. And what Enliven is doing is it's a SaaS platform for retail pharmacies that does things like um, personalized communications, you know, sort of mundane, that automated press one, press zero, but now more sophisticated. When I call, you know, hey, Bob, you know, I have five medications for you. Which one do you want to refill, et cetera? but also does things like scheduling appointments for patients to go to retail pharmacies, gives analytics and and, and predictive tools around what plan they should be on, those types of things. And so, you know, that enlivened platform sits on top of the pharmacy management system, which PMSs have been out there for a long time, 30 years. And what that really is, is just, it's about filling a script and billing for it. And and Enliven works very seamlessly with all of those systems, but sits above, but just enables the pharmacist more efficiently to do these other value-add tasks. So our, our data actually says that 92% of hospitals have a pharmacy management system. So my question is, what are those other 8% of hospitals doing? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> What's more amazing to me is that, you know, the, the, the stats that are always around, you know, we do run into hospitals here and there that don't have... ADCs, right? Don't have automated right. dispensing cabinets too, right? What, what are they doing? So, yeah. So our, I actually have data on that too. We track more than 7,300 hospitals in the US, according to our data, but 96.2% of them, not to put too fine a point on it, 96.2% have an automated dispensing machine. So you still got 3.8% of uh, Greenfield for you out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, our growth 
really comes from look every every you know five to seven to ten years you've got a we have a new ADC and it's got better features, better capabilities, more modular, more intelligent, et cetera. But but the real growth from us is coming from the fact that as I pointed out before, which is you know ultimately why I joined, is that we have this superlative channel, right? And and these health systems have done business with us for 10, 15, 20 years. And and as as the importance of pharmacy has grown over the last decade, you know, we've you know, like a boat on a tide have kind of risen that. And so now, you know, we're really perceived as, as the, as a strategic pharmacy partner for not just the health systems, but, but outside the health systems. And so the strategy has been great. As I pointed out, all the other problems you're having, whether it's in central pharmacy or IV compounding, or making sure you're getting the right drugs to the right location or optimizing the efficiency of your pharmacist, um, We've added or acquired over the last four years, four, oh, I think we've, we've organically de uh, delivered five new services and we've acquired three or four other ones. And so now we're walking into that health system or that provider and saying, hey, look, med management, you're simply not getting enough value out of this care delivery model. We can help you reduce drug spend, improve quality, improve provider efficiency, and we can do that through a whole portfolio of products or services. And so it's really that expansion, the new products that is driving the growth. So let's talk a little bit about specialty pharmacy, right? So you do a lot of work with specialty pharmacies, right? Yes. Yeah. So according to our data, there are nearly 3,200 specialty pharmacies across the U.S. from about 440 or so different pharmacy and health system networks. And yet the large, large majority of these specialty pharmacies tend to be located in and around urban areas, which makes sense given, you know, the specialized handling required for orphan drugs and complex conditions of patients. But nearly 20% of the U.S. population lives in a rural area, and many of them lack the financial resources or time to travel the urban areas to get these drugs. So how do we help, you know, 20% of the U.S. population get access to these drugs, you know, that they desperately need? Yeah, I think that, um, so first off, you know, this is an area, especially as an area for us where four years, we didn't really do much of anything. Um, and so, but it was an area of, as you pointed out, such rapid growth um, with the 340B program, which we could talk a little bit about, but the 340B program, which is a federal program, the bottom line is, is that it, it essentially is a federally mandated discount for hospitals, health systems, FQHCs that treat a percentage of their population that are really underserved populations, right? Um, you know, uh, poor, et cetera, Medicaid, that, that they are, the federal government requires that manufacturers give those providers a discount, a pretty significant discount on purchasing those drugs. And the reason being is it's just a it was a straight up negotiation to say, look, this is a way that we can help subsidize these providers to deliver care to these underserved populations, right? And so now for specialty medications that grew at the same time, where the reimbursement is very, very high, when you add that to the discount for the 340B program, now specialty, you know, basically specialty pharmacy is driving a significant financial benefit to those providers, which is being used to fund programs to support you know, the, the kind of underserved populations, right? To your point, I think, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, approaching the more rural environments, um, yes, I, I think 
you know, health systems and, and community hospitals that are 340B eligible that serve those populations, ensuring that the 340B program stays intact and that they can, you know, deliver specialty pharmacy to those. Um, FQHCs, the same thing. The, the challenge is, is that operating a specialty pharmacy is a whole different animal than operating a, a typical retail pharmacy or an inpatient pharmacy. And so for most health systems, it's just a very different skill set. And, and there's two complexities to it, which is one, you know, how do I contract with payers? How do I engage manufacturers? How do I operate the specialty pharmacy in, I'll say, the, the sort of fabric of my clinical settings? And two, the 340B program is incredibly complex and it's, it's, it's very difficult to do correctly. So we acquired two businesses over the last two years. Um, one is a, is a 340B uh, TPA, essentially. So, so software and expertise around how to operate the 340B program. And two, we acquired a business called Recept, which is a specialty pharmacy managed service organization. And what that means, you put those two assets together, and now you can go to health systems and say, look, you know, you either have and it's underperforming or you should have a specialty pharmacy program and you really need to have a perpetual inventory management system. We now as Omnicell, you know, we've been partnered with you for 15 years on point of care. We're expanding our relationship with central pharmacy automation. We're helping you optimize meds across you know, your various facilities, now we can help you optimize outside of the hospital as well to operate your specialty pharmacy with our Enliven platform. We can help you engage these patients who are at home in a rural setting and aren't coming to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how the whole thing kind of comes together. Do you, do you think there's opportunity there, you know, with the expansion of services that this sort of keeps on coming as things get uh, more complex and you have different solutions for for those complexities, maybe even a a direct connection from maybe a more urban centered, especially pharmacy and the rural centers out there where it's even like a, a services that that literally drives the specialty pharmacy drug from, you know, you know, point A to point B. Like I think some of those things too to help those services, and, and like you said, it's a logistics problem as yeah. well. You know, there's obviously the the details behind getting the 340B set up correctly, and the relationships between maybe a, one health system and another that's in a rural area. But I think too that logistic problem is something that might be uh, open for uh, opportunity. Totally, and and I think with the I mean, look, mail order has become so prevalent and, and even, you know, now health systems can, um, you know, they don't have to stand up their own mail order operations, right? They, they, there are companies now that will stand up and operate those for them and handle kind of the logistics piece of the mail order. The most important point, uh, most important part of the process with especially medication is around um, the longitudinal connectivity between the pharmacist and the clinician and the patient, meaning that, you know, these are complex drugs treating complex conditions. And so the reality is, is that, hey, as a pharmacist, can I seamlessly and maybe over the phone engage with this patient on behalf of the clinician that prescribed the drugs to make sure that you're on the right one, that has no, you know, adverse interactions, that you're taking it properly and you're following up. The drugs will show up at your house tomorrow, you know, mail order. But you as a patient 
trust me because I'm part of health system X, Y, and Z, which is where you're getting your cancer treatment or you're, you're getting your dermatologic care as opposed to, you know, I saw my doctor at, at health system X, and then I get a phone call from CVS. And that pharmacist doesn't have access to my clinical record, but that's what happens today, right? And that's why you have misadherence and you have all these problems. And so I think most health systems or hospital pharmacists would argue that they're going to yield a better clinical outcome, given that they have the right tools, hopefully that someone like Omnicell can provide them, where they actually can engage these patients seamlessly and directly. Um, and you know the meds will show up at their door. Interesting. So Scott, this has been great today. I appreciate all that you've shared with us. And I personally learned a lot. But before we let you go, I got one last question for you. So I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things today. I live one mile from a Walgreens in one direction and one mile from CVS in the other, right? So your comment earlier today about 95% of the American population is within five miles. I'm right there with you. I get my prescriptions filled to both of them. I get my cholesterol medicine delivered to me by pill pack. So the automatic, you know, Mail order pharmacy stuff that you just mentioned all kind of there. I feel like I'm living your world here. So my question to you, though, given everything we talked about today, is how long is it before my prescription is filled by a robot? Or if not actually a robot, right? Maybe an automated self-service vending machine at my CVS or my Walgreens, right? Or, or a drone. But I mean, all kidding aside, right? Do, I, do you see a day when I go to CVS and I swipe my driver's license and I swipe my Amex and my pills just roll right out to me. Is that kind of where this is going? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think you and I aren't the patient where we have to solve these problems for, right? It, it's, it's the 5% of patients driving 50% of the cost, right? Multiple comorbidities, um, social determinant problems, et cetera, that frankly also are known as the polymeds. They're taking seven, 10 different medications. Like th this is really complex stuff, right? And the reason that they like going to CVS and Walgreens or Fred's Pharmacy is they remember that on the third Wednesday of every month, they get their hair done and they happen to go in there, right? I don't actually think that that's where the med needs to be. I think what has to happen there is you got to free that pharmacist up to have a very real conversation with that patient around Hey, look, these are complex meds. Are you taking them correctly? Are you on the right ones? How do you follow up? Hey, can I call your daughter tomorrow to make sure that when she checks in on you, you can do X, Y, and Z? That's where we've got to free that up. You know, how the med is actually distributed. I mean, frankly, it'll just, you know, it, it should just be mailed to their home or the courier comes that evening or a nurse drops it off. It's a narcotic or something. But that I think should just be seamless, right? I, I think what we need to do whether we're talking about pharmacy or other, other portion of healthcare, it's just free up that clinician to look that patient in the eye and have a real conversation about what's going on with their life and are they on the right things, right? You know, so, you know, so I, I think that's how this all changes. It does sound like that, that human element, it's still, it needs to be a remainder within there. So uh, it's good to hear that there's still, or looking for opportunities to, to keep the, that as being the, the primary focus of those clinicians. Because like you said, the logistics and, and the, you know, the, the filling of, of machines and things like that need to be taken off their plate. And it ties in a lot with uh, all the, t the conversations we've had about trying to keep people within the marketplace and, and you know, to stem that tide of attrition, keeping people at the, the reason why they became a clinician in the first place. For sure. Completely agreed. Awesome. Well, Scott, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. This was great. I really enjoyed it. 
Todd, always a pleasure to have you bring the knowledge. Drop some on us. And for all our listeners out there, thank you as always for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Hamron Randwaha, the founder and CEO of Empirico. Empirico is a biotech company focused on small molecule drug development, enhancing personalized treatment at the point of care. Pam is also a longtime player in the Massachusetts biotech scene, so I'm sure she'll have plenty of interesting perspectives on building and growing a biotech company in the current economic environment. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence and how it can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care and please stay healthy. Stay healthy.